Welcome to another episode of All Queued Up. I think this is episode 10 now. Episode um, 10, yeah. I'm. Uh, it's uh, 10 episodes in, and it still feels as fresh as it did day one. But, uh, uh, guys, thank you for being here. If, you, if, if you're new to the show, uh, my name is Greg Dietz. I host primarily uh, because I talk too much. Uh, but with me as my co-host, as always, is Josh Fisher. Hey, everybody. Um... My uh, Twitter handle is at ChubRuckGeek. Josh, what is your Twitter handle? At nsabanur1976. There you go. All right, so if you're new to the show, what we do here is we watch an entire episode, or sorry, an entire show on a streaming internet streaming service, a la Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, YouTube Red, you have it. If, if it's something that's on the internet, we watch and review it. We also discuss it. That's why it's a Discuss and Review podcast. Anywho, um, because we do this, we also spoil the hell out of every show. So if there's a show that you want to check out without it being spoiled, go watch it and then come back and listen to our opinion on it. Um, yeah, some shows are just simply too hard to talk about without being spoiled. There is that. Also, I created the show because I wanted to talk about shows with somebody. <laughs> There was that main reason, uh, cool. but uh, but but yes. Uh, well, that's I mean I think that's the reason all podcasts get started is for a simple reason, and if they kind of go further than that, that's great. But um, I wanted to find somebody that I could have meaningful conversations about about these amazing shows that we get to watch. So that's you know that was my whole point. Um, and if you guys enjoy the show, thank you so much. Um, uh, again, there are a myriad of ways to find us online. And I'm going to let Josh run all of those down right now. Well, you can find us on Google Play, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and we also have a website. Uh, it is uh, allcueduppodcast.wordpress.com. We have a Facebook page, which you've just... Uh, Facebook.com slash podcast. We have a Twitter account where you can tweet at us, which is at podcast. And let's see, am I leaving anything out? Um, I don't think so. We also have an Instagram account, but we haven't started uh, advertising anything on there yet. So once we do, we'll put that out there for you as well. But if you want to email us, we have an email account, which is allcuteuppodcast at gmail.com. Um, I also want to throw out there that we have a Discord account, which you can go in there, and that's another place where you can um, suggest new shows for us to watch, or whatever. Like, that's a good way to contact us, because yeah. that's, that's how we primarily communicate is through Discord, so... Mm. Um, oh, I, you know what? I left out the new YouTube channel since our last oh, episode... Yeah. That's right. Uh, we created a YouTube channel. It is just simply called All Cued Up Podcast. And what we're doing is uploading our past episodes that we have previously recorded and setting image files to them, uh, trying to relate specific scenes from whatever show or movie we're talking about to make it a little more relevant to give uh, some, you know, say if you want a visual cue to go along with your podcast listening, you have that. Exactly, there you go. Uh, but um, it, it does take a few hours, so I'm still loading the past episodes, so. 
Yeah. Hopefully, um, by the time this one airs, we'll be all caught up. Which will be great for you because then it won't be as much work uploading episodes every like for a while there. Yeah. You'll you'll get bored not having uh, uh, work to do, Josh. Um, oh, I'll have other projects, believe me. <laughs> Uh, but today's episode is going to be a fascinating one, uh, one that Josh and I are extremely excited about. So first we get to talk about a show that we both watched actually a little while ago called The Toys That Made Us. Um, but before we before we start discussing that show, um, the other rad thing that's going to happen right after this, um, it'll sound a little different because we're, we're going to record on a different format entirely, but um, Josh and I will be interviewing the creator of the show, Brian Volk Weiss. Um, it's going to be an awesome interview just because the guy not only you know made the show, but he also works for Netflix, and we're going to ask him a ton of questions about that on top of making the show, how to film a documentary. Like We have a myriad of questions, guys. So after the review, come back and listen to that because it's going to be a very, very fun interview. But... Right now, we need to start talking about the toys that made us. So, Josh, I'm going to hit the timer, and I want you to run down the synopsis of the show, please. Oh, okay. Give me just one moment here. And, uh, uh, almost came <laughs> ill-prepared. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let me go ahead and stop the timer, and then, uh, get it going again when you're ready. Oh, you're good. Okay. Alright, well, The Toys That Made Us is basically um, a documentary series that was released on December 22nd. Uh, it is an eight-episode season, but it's broken up into two parts, so right now only the first four parts are out. But what it is is just an in-depth look at some of the most iconic toy franchises. Uh, and they discuss the rise and fall, uh, if there is a fall, in these multi-million and some cases billion dollar creations uh the first four episodes they look at uh they start with star wars they move into barbie onto he-man and then the fourth episode is gi joe um and three of those franchises were always near and dear to me growing up as a kid and still are in a lot of ways but I thought it was fascinating because they actually talk to designers and sculptors and yeah. writers. If, if the person, just yeah, a if the whole, so I said the yeah, person's still alive and can be interviewed. They uh -huh. were interviewed if they had any kind of relation to making the toy. Oh yeah, yeah, it was great. It was just so fascinating to watch. Uh, honestly. There was not a bad episode of this that, uh, you know, I, I'm a giant toy fanatic. I mean, it's briefly been mentioned on here before, but I have a pretty extensive collection. So something that I get to talk about, you know, my love of documentaries and my love of toys merged into one. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I, um, I didn't know, like, Josh had watched the show before I did uh, because... Um, I remember we were talking about shows to do, and um, uh, we were on Twitch streaming something, and one of the viewers was just like, you need to watch Toys That Made Us, and Josh immediately was like, I absolutely have, and it's a great show, and so um, uh, I was like, you know what, I want to check this show out, and, and so we had both technically watched this show 
outside of preparing to talk about it for the podcast. Um, but through the course of, of events, now we're going to be talking about it, um, obviously. Uh, I... The only toy I can honestly say that I was attached to in the four episodes of the show, in any way, shape, or form, was... Um, Barbie. Was uh, Star... <laughs> Yes, Barbie, no. Uh, Star Wars. Um, but here's the other thing. I was born in 83, right after uh, Jedi had come out. Um, actually, I was born right before Jedi came out, technically, right? Yes. Yeah, it came out the first weekend of May. May, of that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, so I was maybe a month old. Yeah, I maybe. had just turned seven years old a couple weeks before it came out, so I remember seeing it in theaters with my cousins. See, that's rad. Like, I, yeah, I don't have that memory, even though Star Wars is like easily my favorite franchise um but i did grow up with the toys you know when when i was very young uh i'd say late 80s early 90s there were still toys being produced and i i knew friends that had them i had a few my my brothers had a few sh- i mean there was there was definitely Star Wars toys in this house, and uh, I mean I still have an R two D two from when I was a kid that I'm pointing at that you can't see, um, but uh, uh, what was so fascinating to me about the documentary was it didn't just talk about the toys and it didn't just talk about like common information that everyone knew the the cardboard set, it went into like you know my first thought was like okay well Jedi ended in eighty three. Or Jedi came out in 83, and I'm sure they sold toys for a couple of years after that, but what about the late 80s and early 90s where there was no Star Wars? There just mm-hmm. wasn't anything Star Wars. Like, what happened? And they went into that, and they talked about how the like Kenner was just like, we aren't making money on this. And I think, was it Mattel that bought it? No, it was Hasbro that bought it. Hasbro. Them. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Hasbro bought them. And I, I was very intrigued by how that whole process went down. Like it actually, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, Hasbro buying Kenner out kind of uh, put a damper on the G.I. Joe product line as well because, you know, for the longest time, 82 to 94, G.I. Joe was Hasbro's breadwinner. And then the line, the sales started declining and slumping because they had shifted people around. They bought Kenner. And they shifted those guys in the G.I. Joe department around as a... Uh, Kirk Bazigian talks about in the G.I. Joe documentary. And, of course, you know, in 1995, what happens? Star Wars toys are re-released for the first time in 10 years in stores. And people, myself included, went batshit looking for them. Because Oh, I don't doubt it, yeah. What, in, in, 70, in 75, you were nine? No, I was not even conceived in 75. I mean 80, 85, sorry. 85, 85. yeah. 85, yeah, I was nine. Sorry, my yeah. bad. Oh, no, no, it's funny. Um, um, well, what, what you're talking about right now, before you continue, I think is so fascinating about this whole show. And I'm really excited about the next four episodes because I'm sure that we're going to hear more intertwining things. But there mm-hmm. was a lot of moments where, like, you know, during the Star Wars one, they would talk about how other products affected how Star Wars sold or didn't sell. Mm-hmm. And and then you get to G.I. Joe, and it's like, oh, He-Man kind of hurt G.I. Joe. And you're like, what the, what the fuck? Like, it's really, really cool how they kind of inter- intertwine with each other on a competitive level. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That, was, that was so interesting to me. That was so cool to me that they would do that. And I remember during the He-Man one, there was a moment where they talked about, like, when they brought out She-Ra. And, mm-hmm. then they, and then they go back to the lady they were talking to about Barbie from the Barbie episode, and she was just like, she was like, yeah, we hated She-Ra. <laughs> no, no, they loved She-Ra. They, well, that hey, was the hey, thing. They were, they were both brands at Mattel. You know, Barbie. Well, who, who said they didn't like? Somebody said they didn't like something. Uh, it was a lot of the guys that worked for on the He-Man line that didn't like the fact that they started the She-Ra line. They felt okay. that one of them in particular felt that it demasculated He-Man and it hurt the line's sales. Well, yeah, I remember. But that. that's remember not that. true at all. Uh, yeah, there were a few instances of I, you know, I knew girls that I lived next to and went to school with uh, that loved playing He-Man and everything. And they were just jazzed as hell when She-Ra toys came out. Um, But what led to He-Man's downfall, because once it debuted in late 81 and early 2000, or late 81 and early 1982, He-Man started beating the pants off of Star Wars sales. G.I. Joe debuted later in 82, and those were the top three lines right there. And then you had Barbie, you know, for girls' toys. But those were the top three sellers in boys' toy lines. And He-Man stayed on top, I think, in 83, 84, and 85, maybe even 86. Uh, Star Wars was gone by 86, but G.I. Joe and He-Man were the top two, along with Transformers, by that point. I mean, yeah, sales the- were ridiculous. Well, what's, what's so fascinating, I'm briefly bring this up is the next four episodes are on uh transformers hello kitty star trek and lego Lego. what i'm interested in is how hello kitty affected anything in north america that's what i want to hear and you know um i've heard it argued that hello kitty is not so much a toy as it is just a brand well yeah that'll be uh, a fascinating Sanrio? Sanrio? I can't remember the company that makes it, but it's I'm, something I'm, like that. I'm, I'm close. I know I'm close. Uh, I have, I have a f- very I have limited a knowledge of Hello Kitty, so this will be my main educator when that drops. <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm so fascinated about is that you know you, we we talk you know when you watch the Barbie one and how they marketed to girls and that's how they that's how they were able to sell it. Like parents were just like, wait. This is teaching girls how to be adults. I'm, I'm in. Um, how to be home care, home homemakers or whatever. Oh, that was um, a big selling point, yeah. That was absolutely a big selling point. Uh, but as the 70s hit, girls can do everything, which was great because it, that, it helped. Anyway, point I'm getting at is um, uh, Hello Kitty is very much a baby or little girl brand. Um and I'm fascinated to know exactly how that affected North America as a whole when it comes to sales. Because we know that, that Transformers is popular in Japan. We know that. Uh, so, they're popular in this house. Well, they're popular <laughs> in the United States, clearly. Um, <laughs> but they were, not, they were not originally a Japanese product, even though you look at Transformers, you're like, boy, that seems very Japanese. Well, all um, of the molds were used. Uh, they were already pre-existing molds that were sold by multiple companies in japan spoilers oh okay (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't. It's it's not a big deal. I. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, because I'm just the the point is is after watching these four episodes and seeing how sales from He Man affected you know Star Wars or how GI Joe was you know like canned at a certain point and then came back and how it affected sales of other toys and like that whole thing was so interesting and fascinating to me. I'm really curious how you know like did Transformers affect the sales of GI Joe? Did oh absolutely. Um, like yeah, I like I don't know that stuff. That 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 was the stuff that that I really really dug about this documentary. Oh okay. In every episode, that's 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 that's, that's also short, something that's I have. To get at. That, that's also something that I have to take into account because I am such a toy nerd. With the Star Wars, the He Man and GI Joe properties, I knew a good ninety to ninety eight percent of the information that was in those documentaries just because. Really. Of, yeah. There I knew, were very, I knew maybe twenty five percent. There was now as for you know a casual viewer, somebody who's like, oh, I remember having that growing up. This is going to be just so informative and information packed. I still loved it. It didn't take away from my detractment at all. Don't get me wrong, but sure, I knew a sure. lot of the history just because. Well, you know, uh, I've done research and I've you know done articles in the past for another website. You know. Uh, researching the history of G.I. Joe and researching the history of Transformers and other properties in Star Wars. Um, well, like, I'll give you an example of something I knew and then didn't know when they were talking about G.I. Joe. I knew that G.I. Joe started off as, like, a, pro, a post-World War II toy. Very um, first action figure ever marketed for boys. Right. I knew that I knew that, that, was, that was their way to sell a doll to boys was by calling it an action figure. Yep. Um, but for customs purposes, they are classified as dolls. Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, however, uh, go, you know, going into the the revamp in the eighties, I knew nothing of that. Oh. No information was in my head about that. So, like, and the way, uh, just uh, we, just to clarify here, the way that they make it look. And the way that everything is done and edited and filmed properly in this documentary keeps your attention tenfold. Yes. It's like, okay, we could just talk about our board meetings that we had doing pitches for new product lines, or we can do some reenactment. And those were fun. Those were really fun. And I know yeah. in the G.I. Joe episode, they clearly used actors in reenactment, but I wasn't sure... Because the Star Wars episode opens up with uh, uh, the one uh, executive from Kenner at the lot of Lucasfilm when they're shooting. And I'm like, okay, is this just a reenactment or is that actual footage? I couldn't tell. Um, but it was very well done. But, and I, I, you know, it was just, I loved, I really loved the Barbie episode. Yeah, that 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 one was probably the one I knew the least about. I knew maybe two yeah. percent of the information told in that. I didn't know a lot about, you know, the backstory of Barbie. You know, I just knew she was the first doll uh, that wasn't like a baby doll. You know, she was the first fashion accessory doll and everything. I didn't know Barbie's lewd inspiration, uh, yeah, which yeah, was, was, was amazing. Like, yeah. But I also didn't realize that Barbie, from the time from its inception, 
and all throughout its current history, it's mostly been headed up by women. I mean, yeah, men have yeah. worked on the line too, but it's mainly always been worked on by women, and that what, you know it makes what, sense because they're aimed at girls. So right. What's so fascinating about about these four episodes, by the way, is that like. Star Wars was just like, okay, it's a movie, obviously they gotta sell toys, so let's, you know, let's get those toys out as fast as possible, we, you know, we make shift some stuff, we, we, what do they call it when they start cutting pieces together? Kit bashing. And then, and then, kit bashing, thank you. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, like, Barbie and G.I. Joe kind of have a similar arc to their story, um, up until, like, when G.I. Joe stopped selling and then came back in the 80s, like, that's different, but... Um, in regards to like it being original property and trying to sell, you know, trying to sell it to kids, but in a very specific way. However, He Man had a super, super fascinating uh, um, uh, origin. Mm-hmm. Where basically, basically, they were just like, "We need a toy. <laughs> well, we just need to make something that sells." Yeah, yeah. Because Mattel, even though Barbie was on top of the world, they didn't have boy toys. They didn't have action figures. And Star Wars <coughs> was kicking the shit out of them. And they're like, we need, you know, something that can... The the head of Kenner at the time says, we need something that will kill Star Wars. Oh, well, thanks, no pressure. And yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Something that I always thought was fascinating is there are always, in a successful toy line, a conglomerate of people that have input in creating these characters and lines and it's always oh well so and so is credited as creator of this and no I created this it's very similar to comic books in that regard artists and writers you know uh, the longest time there was the whole okay Stan Lee created this well Jack Kirby brought it to life and it's like you know can't they just be co creators but in this it's like okay roger sweet coined the term he-man he came up with the concept of he-man mark taylor came up with the actual aesthetic designs and created some of the characters to combat he-man on his own you know but then you had uh the other guys that came up with other aspects so it's like they say it's a stew, and there are many chefs, and it all has to come together, but it's just fascinating how all that works. Yeah, there, there's an old phrase that says, like, um, uh, you don't want to make a horse a camel, uh, which basically means that, like, if there's too many if there's too many cooks in the kitchen, you're going to make a bad stew. But in regards to these toys, that was never the case. No, um, you needed all those people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, it, it, that's another fascinating angle. I, one of my favorite moments, by the way, that I, I just uh, absolutely adored, um, was that, was it Big Jim is what the, what, what they had before He-Man? Uh, Big Jim was a boys action figure toy line in the early seventies that they tried to compete, uh, with G.I. Joe, uh, and yeah. other boy toy lines. But when Star Wars came out, it just absolutely crushed any and all Big Jim sales. Right, so so because because Jim, Big Jim was such a huge flop, um, when trying to come up with a uh, um, a writable thing for He Man, they just they just repainted the tigers from Big Jim, yeah, and that became Battle Cat, and I couldn't have I couldn't have loved that more. <laughs> yeah, it's because you know 
well, we needed a third vehicle, but we ran out of tooling money, and we only had enough money to produce two. And that's when they, wait a minute, we've got a Tiger from Big Jim. And the one guy was like, you know, Big Jim was a nine and a half inch tall figure. These are five and a half inches tall. The one guy was like, it's not going to work. It's not going to scale. They're just like, just do it. I don't care. But it's as big as a horse. And they're like, so put a saddle on it. And then they did, and boom, Battle Cat was born. I mean, He-Man, just the way a lot of the early stuff on, they said, you know, we were just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what stuck. And early on, everything stuck. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, it was yeah. That's and that that I couldn't have loved more. It was so it was so fascinating to to hear the different perspectives from the different people who'd worked on He Man. Um, you know, when it came to Barbie, it was like they, there was always people recycling through. When it came to GI Joe, it was like you remember this franchise from a long time ago. Well, let's bring it back. And with 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 uh, Star Wars, it was just like how can we make this as fast as possible? And but but He Man was the most original thing out of the out of the four to me on the origin and creation of it like it wasn't based off of anything there wasn't a need for it outside of like we want to make a toy that boys will you know feel powerful for having um so there's just like that that was incredibly interesting and fascinating to me and how they made that and oh yeah um star wars was a game changer though i mean because absolutely absolutely back then when you go into a Toys R Us or a Walmart or a Target now, what are the toys that you see that are the most popular ones? Movie tie-ins. Back right. in the 70s, with the rare exception, you didn't have movies that had toys. You know, Mego produced some Planet of the Apes figures back in the day, and there was the... Um, Star Trek figures in Mego, but other than that, you didn't have a lot of movie licenses. And that's why Kenner got such a good deal on producing that line because nobody wanted to take a chance on it. They thought, oh, this movie is going to suck. And you know, licensing fees back then, I believe Mattel in their He Man documentary said they were paying about $4 million per film property to make, for the rights to make the toys and weren't even making that $4 million back. Yeah. So that's why they decided to produce their own and how they came up with He Man. And in their first year, they promised sales of $13 million and made $38 million. Uh, so almost double, you know, what they promised. So. Right, right. Well, um, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Let's give our recommendations. I'll go first, since I'm sure, Josh, you're going to have a yeah. much more interesting recommendation to listen to, since you have more knowledge about it than I do. <laughs> uh, from from a decent layman's perspective, I, it's not that I don't own toys or that I don't love toys, because I genuinely do. Um, I just never really thought to look into the information that was given in the documentary. And uh, upon watching all four episodes, I couldn't have been more fascinated. Um, I mean, I probably could have been, but... You know they can only do what they can, they can do with. So, um, but it was funny. It was it was it was it was fascinating. It was interesting. Like, I'm super excited for the next four episodes, and and I hope the show continues because there are a plethora of, car, of of toys that they could dive into and make multiple episodes of this show. Um, which let's hope we can ask Brian that tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> uh, but point is, is that. Um, I guess I shouldn't have said tomorrow, next segment. Anyway, regardless, I could not recommend the show enough. If you, Even if you don't 
even if you aren't interested in the toys being talked about, even if you aren't interested in the properties being talked about, it's fascinating to see the behind-the-scenes stuff that most people probably don't know. I am included in that didn't know. So um, I, I just I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Definitely check it out. And it's not a whole lot of your time. It's like an hour per episode. So yeah, that's, that's my two cents. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah. Oh, man, this show was made not just for people like me. It was made for all of you as well. If you ever played with a toy and have fond memories of playing with that toy, you need to watch this. This show is chock full of information. Uh, A lot of behind-the-scenes things and fascinating tidbits. I never knew that the inspiration for the Barbie doll was based on a... uh, a Sex call girl. <laughs> it was yeah. She was based on a call girl in a comic strip that had her own doll that you know men would proposition prostitutes with. That's that's the inspiration for the Barbie doll. And fascinating things, uh, you know how different toy lines changed history, such as Star Wars. You know, uh, you know GI Joe. It's placeholder in history. All the historical aspects are fascinating. But talking to the creators, the minds behind these, how it came to life. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. I couldn't love this show more. I am super excited for the second half. I hope that this show gets another season and another beyond that because there are lots of properties that have been untapped that can uh, hold their own on an hour-long episode. That's my only critique of this show is I wish the episodes were longer. Other than that, I don't have anything negative to say. Or at least in parts. At least, like, like some of them could be two-parters. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, um, instead of being a 55, 60-minute episode, you know, two uh, two episodes of that length, you know. And I'm, there are some properties probably could warrant that. Uh, others, not so much. But, yeah, I love it. And I'm really excited for what the potential this series has in the future. Cool. Um, so, guys, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a massive thumbs up from both of us. Definitely go check it out. Uh, but, guys, uh, here's the funny part, and I'm sure you've heard us kind of accidentally say it uh, from time to time. Um, this is being recorded before the interview, and um, so what we're going to do right now is a transition where. Um, what I wanted to do was say, hey, Josh, take it away. But that seems weird now that I'm in the moment. Um, so, Josh, if you would just like to have a quick music transition, and then we'll go right into it. Hello. Hi, I have Brian Volkweiss calling for Josh. Uh, okay, this is Josh. All right, one moment. Okay. Brian, you're on with Josh, and I will grab Greg. Right, Josh? Hey, what's up, Josh? Hey, how are you doing today, Mr. Volkweiss? I'm good, please. Call me Brian. Oh, well, thank you, Brian. Thank you. Uh, how are you doing? Where are you at? I, Where am, you live? I am in Virginia, sir. Where in Virginia? I love Virginia. Southwestern Virginia, down near uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. Ah, very cool. I love Kentucky. It's, it's, it's beautiful here, but there's not a lot here. <laughs> But at least we have Sounds like scenery. paradise. Sounds like paradise. I spent 19 minutes looking for a parking spot before lunch today. 
so I am envious. I have Greg joining. Of uh, what you said. What's up, Greg? How's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm great. I'm excited. <laughs> let's have a uh, let's have a uh, let's have an interview. Yeah. Thank you so right, much. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thanks for being interested. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well. Um, go ahead, Greg. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I just want to let you know. I want to let you know that uh, we're still we're still new in the podcast game. This is literally our tenth episode. Um, I've been doing podcasting for about yeah. I've been doing podcasting for about ten years now. But um, for this show, this is yeah. This is our tenth episode. So, um, uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and start from where we left off on the half party episode, and then we'll just go right into it. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, this is, I'm very new to this, so it's been a fun experience for me. But yeah, I know you are probably a very busy man, Brian, and pressed for time, so I just want to uh, say to all of our listeners, we have Mr. Brian Volkweiss on the call with us, and he is the creator of the Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us, and both Greg and I were fascinated with this docuseries. Um... If you don't mind, Mr. Volkweiss, or Brian, I'm sorry, um, what was your inspiration for creating the show? So, I mean, it was basically two passions of mine came together, uh, one of which is uh, toys. I love toys. Um, I have been playing with and collecting toys for, uh, you know, pretty much my entire life, if not my whole life. So I've always been really into toys. Um, then the second thing is um, I've always been a history buff. Uh, my grandfather uh, told me a lot of great stories of, of his life and growing up and everything and World War II, and I just always loved history. And at some point um, I realized that even though things like Optimus Prime and Cobra Commander and Star Wars and figures and vehicles were beloved by billions of people and played with and, and changed people's lives and childhoods and whatnot. I, you know, at some point I was like, you know, there's 300 books about the War of 1812, uh, and there isn't like a real official book about Transformers. Like, how did Optimus Prime become Optimus Prime? How did Snake Eyes become Snake Eyes? So that was really the thing where I'm like, how could something so big and so popular not have more coverage? And I'm a TV producer, so that's what I do. We started trying to sell a show about, at the time, uh, the history of toys. Uh, I was going to say, like, I, I personally really appreciate the show because... I'm a huge video game fan, and there's already like three different documentaries about the history of video games, but this is the first one I ever saw about toys. And so uh, for for me, like I've been, I could tell, like before we even got this interview going, I was like, you guys need to go watch the show. It's like really good. It's your history. And it's not just about the, like glamorizing the toys. It's about, you know, teaching the history of everything. So uh, that's really cool to hear that that's where your inspiration came from. Um, uh uh, Josh, do you have another question? Because I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, that was one of the things I was curious if there was, a, you know, exactly uh, a specific moment where you thought, hmm, 
this would be a great TV show. And I really enjoy that. I like the fact because, you know, as you said, there are hundreds and hundreds of books about historical periods, uh, specific events. But, you know, there is a large market for this very type of show. And I, for one, could not be any happier that you finally got to tap into it. And I'm sure that took quite a while. <laughs> yeah, it, it took at least six or seven years uh, from the first time we started trying to sell it uh, to the point where Netflix told us they were going to buy it. So, uh, yeah, it took a long time. It's uh, a quarter of my career. Wow. So I, was, I, I wanted to ask you a, a question that I'm really fascinated with is, how did you go about getting in contact with everyone involved with the different uh, toy manufacturers and toy lines, even if they were retired? Like, how, how did that come about? So once we got the greenlit, we immediately brought on the researchers. Um, and some of the researchers, so that was the first thing. The second thing we did was we tried to get an expert for every toy. So, like, for Star Wars, for example, um, you know, we found, uh, who's also, we didn't find him. He was actually a friend of mine for years before we got the green light. So I don't know why I said found. Uh, but for, like, Star Wars, um, there's a guy named Brian Stillman who made his own documentary about Star Wars toys called Plastic Galaxy. Oh, um, I've seen that. Yeah. So I saw that, like, three or four years ago, loved it and became friends with him. And then as soon as we got the green light, I called him up and I'm like, hey, dude, we got the green light. Do you want to be our Star Wars expert? And he was like, sure. So we did that with every toy. So we had at least one, sometimes two or three experts per toy. Um, and then the experts, as well as our Facebook page, which also started very early, um, became huge resources for oh, if you're doing a show about Transformers, you got to talk to him, you got to talk to her, you got to go there, you got to go there. And then we started lining up the people that we felt we needed to get. Then we started talking to them, and most of them would then say, you know who you also need to talk to, and then it would start feeding itself. So it really started with the people that we wanted to interview, and then we built the show out around the stories they told. So when you speak about um, the research team, how many hours of, you know, research go into each episode? Uh, I know <laughs> there has to be a lot of countless hours, but travel, legwork, interviews. Hundreds, hundreds of hours. Um, and, you know, we also pre-interview everybody. So by the time we, with our crew, are doing the official interview, we've already interviewed them over the phone or by Skype. So we interview at least everybody twice. But some people, there's a couple of people we interviewed. Then when we were doing other interviews, we learned more things, and we had to go back. To, there's one guy, Marty Abrams uh, from oh. Migo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we interviewed him three three separate times, not including, um, not including the pre-interview. Oh. So we actually interviewed him four times. Yeah, I, he was uh, in the GI Joe episode, wasn't he? Uh, he's in the G.I. Joe. He's a, I don't know if he's in G.I. Joe off the top of my head, but he's definitely in Star Wars. 
and he's a huge part of the Star Trek episode, uh, oh, okay. which is uh, coming out later this year, you know, in the, about four months. Okay. Yeah, that's another oh, wow, thing that's that I want. Very cool. Um, Go ahead, Greg. That, no, I was, I was saying that uh, um, I was going to ask you about that uh, at the end of the episode. Is there like a tentative date for the next four? Uh, but I wanted to get to that later. <laughs> so Johnny kind of threw that out there. Um, uh, Josh, what, what, did you have another question? Yeah, actually, when you were mentioning the interviews, uh, and you mentioned that, you know, sometimes like you, Marty Abrams, uh, you had to go back and speak to him. When... When these interviewees, did they see the footage of the other interviews, or were they just, no, you know, given never, audio? Never. Okay, they were just asking yeah, follow-up questions. Yeah, yeah, it, that's very unusual to show people other people's interviews. It, it happens every now and then, but um, yeah, we we yeah we we conducted over three hundred interviews. Uh, we may have done that for like one small specific reason in one case once. Uh, okay, yeah, because you know there's generally it seems like there's some little bit of lively disagreement about a few issues specifically. Uh, creator who's responsible for creating this you know i came up with this i came up with that no i did and especially in the he-man and the barbie episodes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i want to ask you did was, was there any like uh eggshell walking when talking to anybody individual you know that's obviously their name but i'm just curious if if like there were any egos that you had to kind of tiptoe around um that, that i mean we didn't really tiptoe around any interviews um, there, there were things that, you know, we had to be sensitive about, you know, there are a, a couple, you know, we, I set out from the beginning to make a very positive show. I didn't want to make a, uh, you know, a show about gossip and, and, you know, just juicy scandalous, you know, Kardashians type crap. Right. So, um, you know, it, 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 sometimes stuff came up that was very important and we couldn't avoid it, like in He-Man. But, I mean, even, you know, there's another documentary out about He-Man that the whole, the entire core of that documentary is the fighting. So we, and I'm not saying that's wrong. It's fine. It's just not the show um, that we wanted uh, to make. So, but that being said... <laughs> there, there was definitely a couple people um, uh, that are even in the first four episodes that um, were very polarizing to everybody else, uh, and we uh, definitely uh, and aggressively uh, downplayed that. Uh, I, yeah, I wanted to commend you on that, uh, on on the fact that. Um, uh, I, I, I liked the history. I wanted to know more about the history, and there was a little bit of drama, uh, like clearly, uh, with some of the manufacturers, especially in the Barbie and He-Man episodes. And um, I like how when you told that stuff, it was in a, it doesn't matter, because that's not what we're here for. Let's have some fun. And I loved that. Um, I loved how you kind of steered around it. Uh, the, the joke in the He-Man one where everyone's like, I came up with this. Well, I came up with that. And, like, the joke that was made was hilarious to me. So, yeah, I wanted to commend you guys on that. That's why I was asking that question was because 
um, it seemed like there was something, but you didn't want to pay attention to it. You wanted to get more into yeah. the history. So. We wanted to report accurately on the history, so we couldn't just not talk about it, but we didn't want that to be the central core of that episode. And listen, most of the TV shows that I've done you, that's what you want. You know, the funny thing is, you know, we interviewed a couple of people that broke down crying while we interviewed them, you know, talking about how they were fired and, you know, were treated like garbage after they were fired and everything. We literally got them sobbing their eyes out. Um, and any other show I've ever produced, that's the stuff where you're like, woohoo, I got it. This is great. This is great TV. But this show, this show wasn't about that. You know, this show was about the toys that made us and the, the feeling and the nostalgia that we got from it. And, you know, you don't want to see 78-year-old men crying about getting fired in, you know, the, the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before, Josh, I know Josh wants to ask another question, and I'm going to butt in more quick, Josh, just because I want to... There's, there's a small one that you didn't write down that I really want to ask. <laughs> Who came up with the idea for that theme song because that is the most like catchiest thing ever to me uh i came up with it uh the inspiration was uh, even as a kid um i always found it really funny just how much um d- detailed data uh was in especially gi joe but also transformers a little bit so, like, the G.I. Joe theme song, I mean, it's literally all just data. It's like, G.I. Joe is the good guys, Cobra's the bad guys, sometimes they work with Destro, sometimes they don't, Cobra's terrorists, G.I. Joe are here. Like, and I even remember as a little kid being like, boy, they're literally just spelling out uh, the story. And Transformers is the same thing. So... Right from the beginning, I was like, I want the theme song to be kind of poking fun at the overly descriptive songs, you know, describing it. So that was the first inspiration. Then the second part of it was, I was like, we need something that is common with all toys. Like, what's the temple or the church or the mosque that everybody goes to? And I was like, Dude, I'm embarrassed. It shouldn't have taken this long. But it was the toy store. So once we figured that out, then we put it all together. We wrote the song, uh, which was co-written with a guy named Tom Stern, who also obviously worked on the show. Um, and, um, and then we animated it. Uh, the, the license plate, I always like saying this, the license plate is my first car's license plate. Uh, and the, uh, the girl in it is based on uh, one of my best friends uh, named Marisol. Uh, so uh, there's two little inside scoops for you. Oh, yeah. I noticed the license plate, and I was like, you know, vanity plates are a big thing in Virginia. And I was <laughs> like, you know, his last name's Volkweiss. V-Y-S. I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's, you know, but if that was that no, first car. So. No, my, that, yeah, that was the first license plate completely uh, randomly assigned uh, to my first car. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's a cool, cool little touch. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun when you get to do stupid stuff like that as a producer. That's the point, that's the point of having a show. 
I think I think so. I I agree with that for sure. You know, speaking Josh, of you, you have being, another question, brother. Yeah, I was actually going to say, speaking of you mentioning, you know, you were a producer. You actually uh, worked for Comedy Dynamics, correct? And uh, you guys uh, with New Wave Entertainment. Yeah. And then you spun off and yeah, founded it, Nacelle, the Nacelle Company, correct? Yeah, it's all very complicated. I've explained this 300 times to my wife. Uh, she don't get it, and that's not because she's stupid. It's just because it's complicated and ridiculous. But basically, uh, New Wave became Nacelle. So Comedy Dynamics used to be owned by New Wave. Then when it became Nacelle, it was owned by Nacelle. Uh-huh. So New Wave and Nacelle are basically the same thing, and Comedy Central has not changed in the fight. Sorry, Comedy Dynamics has not changed in the slightest. It's just owned by the same company whose name changed. See yes. how crazy that sounds? Yeah, yeah, it's that's crazy. <laughs> uh, it is. It really is. But I mean, as a producer, though, you have gotten to do a uh, lot of stand-up comedy specials as well. On top of this show. Yeah, and, and that, that, that was my entree to Netflix. So uh, it, I was very lucky in that I knew a lot of the people in the right departments. And, uh, you know, for a while, this was Brian's stupid toy show, or, <laughs> oh, there's Brian bringing up that toy thing again. Uh, and then I was very lucky uh, someone uh, took me seriously, uh, told me some great parameters in which to follow, uh, and then that's what we did. Well, uh, you know, I think they, um, I'm glad that they came to their senses because the initial reaction <laughs> seems to be incredibly positive for this show. Um, I, I, 20 years I've been doing this, I've never seen anything like it. It is uh, very, uh, uh, very heartwarming, to put it uh, uh, mildly. I wanted, to, I wanted to bring up real quick that uh, um, I had a very visceral reaction watching specifically the Star, uh, Star Wars episode. Uh, having a Star Wars tattoo and a ton of Star Wars toys just that episode connected to me. Have you had other people come to you telling you how um, just like the, the you know, a strong emotional visual reaction to any of the episodes so far? Oh yeah, I mean, email, Facebook, Instagram. I mean, I, I hear from people literally every day. Uh, sometimes they write to the show. Uh, sometimes they write to me personally. It's funny, I didn't know on Instagram, uh, I didn't know on Instagram that people you're not friends with can send you letters that goes into like a completely separate inbox. I was not aware of that. And then uh, literally just a couple weeks ago, um, I was looking at Instagram and I saw something, it was like 49 and I was like, what's that? And I clicked on it, and I had had 49 people uh, who I was not following or following me have been sending me all these letters. And I mean, I could read some of them to you, man. I mean, a couple of them made me, like, tear up. Actually, a lot of them have made me tear up. Um, it, uh, it's, it's been really crazy uh, in a good way, very powerful. That's outstanding. That's, that's got to be a dream come true to, to touch people like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, you know, the, the good news and the bad news is Netflix, you know, they let me make the show I wanted to make. You know, they have a real artist first mentality there. And, um, 
you know, I, they, we got notes and, you know, they gave us a lot of great guidance, but they really, uh, you know, they, as they say, they gave us enough rope to hang ourselves. And, um, you know, you never know what people are going to think, you know, just cause, just cause I thought it was powerful seeing these two guys walking around Kroger headquarters 30 years later, that didn't mean it would be to other people. Um, but it was, so I feel very lucky, uh, and blessed that my, what made me, you know, I was literally crying, uh, watching that I was standing behind the camera, I was tearing up, but I feel very lucky that, you know, I wasn't crazy that other people did too. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, the GI Joe episode got me, uh, Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. yeah the GI Joe, GI Joe was my first love. Uh, you know, I, I actually have a cobra tattoo on my left forearm and the Arishikage nice. I Ching symbol that Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow share on my right forearm. And, nice. Uh, uh, nice. My, well, my, my G.I. Joe collection is massive. <laughs> but it's this, like. You'll, you'll love this. You'll love this. I have decided that if we get picked up for a second season, my present to myself. Uh, will be a G1 MOC uh, Snake Eyes. Oh, straight arm version, oh, wow. I assume. What's that? Going for the straight arm version? What? Yes, yeah. whatever was the first one to come out. Yeah. That of everything we've covered, of everything that I saw in making these first eight episodes, the thing that I have fallen in love with was uh, Snake Eyes. And I'm um, like, if we get a second season, I'm going to have me a G1 Snake Eyes. Yeah. He was off, off topic question here. Well, I mean, on, on topic, but not during. Anyway, when you were interviewing different people about these toys and you went to some of the people like the guy that owns the biggest uh, Star Wars uh, collection in the world. Steve um, Sansweet. Did you ever get to. What's that? I think that was Steve Sansweet, isn't it? It's an Obi One yeah, Ranch. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever get to hold or touch any of these like priceless, super rare toys? Yeah, man. I, I held a lot of crazy stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, Steve is very. Uh, I mean, there was a. We even put it in the episode, but uh, Steve and and you know he we he's right. They are toys and stuff, but. I mean, I think Steve would have let us touch anything we wanted. I mean, he was really... I mean, there were a lot of times Steve was doing things where I'm like, whoa, 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 uh, hey, hey, d- 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 be careful. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Steve, yeah, Steve was great. He let us do anything, really. But uh, there are a lot of other things. You know, uh, to, we went to Japan uh, to the Takara uh, headquarters and warehouses and stuff, and, um, dude, I... I I saw shit, man. Like, all of the original prototypes are gone. Um, but uh, I saw the Polaroids for, like, the balsa wood work model of Optimus Prime. You know, the balsa wood, uh, what would become Soundwave. They're Polaroids of them. It's all that's left. Um, no one had seen them before, or at least in 30, 40 years. I mean, I literally was just sitting there, you know, covered in goosebumps and... Uh, uh, yeah, so, um, and then, you know, yeah, so the answer to your question is, I'm sorry for rambling, uh, the answer to your question is, yes, uh, I heard, I felt, I held 
uh, and uh, saw uh, things. I just, I, I cannot believe. Uh, you know, I, I touched and put my fingers in the molds that made every single two by four Lego brick that was produced between, like, I think it was 1972 and 1988, which wow. meant that. When I was a kid, the Lego brick I was playing with, and the Lego, I don't know how old you guys were, but if you were around in the 80s, um, then the brick you played with and the brick I was playing with, they only had one mold back then. And, wow. you know, I, I got to touch that mold and, you know, put my finger in it. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, I was. I was yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's an experience you'll never, you'll never forget. <laughs> that yeah. is, that is, yeah. that is amazing, and that's another thing that a lot of people don't realize is these molds. They don't hold up over time. I mean, they they break eventually. They can uh, they lose the molds. Uh, a lot. I know a lot of practices early on, like Hasbro, when they had the GI Joe line, uh, when when they first re-released it uh other outside countries um would use molds they would buy molds off of hasbro when they were no longer producing figures from those molds and then would sure. re-release figures later on or people would call for hey re-release this and it's like we don't have the molds anymore sorry so for lego to actually still have the molds that was used back in the 70s and 80s uh to produce bricks that is pretty impressive yeah, it was uh, it was something to see, let alone touch. Yeah, yeah, that is amazing, and you know, just you're seeing history, and people don't. A lot of people they just don't think of, you know, oh well, it's just a toy. Yeah, but look at what all went into these toys. That's the beauty of this show, and it's, yeah, it's wonderful. You're kind to say, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> Ew. It, it, uh, what? Speaking of the show, what is the most challenging aspect of producing these episodes? I mean, so far it's been just an abundance of you know some of these. You know, the Star Wars episode, the first cut was two and a half hours. You know, and wow, yes, eighty-five percent of what we cut should have been cut. But yeah, man, 15% of it was fucking painful. Mm. I mean, just painful cutting some of it. So, um, you know, we did this real deep dive uh, into the artwork of the Star Wars, the the vintage line, um, and how the artwork was done. We had about a five-and-a-half-minute section about it. Um, and it was fascinating and awesome. And the guy we interviewed was so charismatic and cool. And we had to cut it just because, you know, the episode was too long. Oh. Um, so we've been putting stuff out on Facebook, so every week we put out another clip. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, it, uh, that was definitely the hardest. Uh, that was definitely the hardest thing. Oh, man. Yeah, because a lot of that original artwork, based on illustrations by Ralph McQuarrie, whew, yeah, I can, yeah, I can definitely see how that would be a painful thing to have to let go of. Yeah. Well, this is exactly why a show like this needs to exist because, uh, you know, before watching it, I had no idea. I had the, none of that history was in my head. Yeah. And now it is. So, like, that's, I'm like, that's why I want other people to watch the show too because it's, it's, 
it's that same feeling I had with the, uh, there was a documentary called Video Games the Movie, and it had like a big history about video games. And I thought it was a very fascinating look at the history of video games. This show does the same thing that that does, but on a more individual level with different franchises. And um, uh, when we recorded our review of it yesterday, um, which well, we're transparent with our listeners, apparently, um, <laughs> uh, I had stated that I knew maybe 12% of the information in all four episodes, where Josh knew what, like you said, 97%? Well, oh. out of the G.I. Joe and the He-Man episode and the Star Wars episode, I knew a great majority of that. Simply because, you know, I've collected all three lines since their inception. You know, I was born in 76. Um, oh, me too. Oh, me too. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so I lived through all I'm, that. I'm the young one here. I was born in 83. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I always joke with Greg. He's like, I remember seeing Jedi in the theaters. and yeah, he's like, That's the only one I remember seeing in the theaters. I don't remember seeing Star Wars or Empire in the theaters, but I know I did. I vaguely have like two brief images of me seeing Empire. I can, you know, there's flashes of it in my mind, but that's, you know, I do remember Jedi very well. But yeah. Yeah, I vividly uh, remember seeing Jedi. Mm -hmm. But growing up and collecting, I've never stopped collecting. And I always wanted to know more and know more. And I was fascinated. And, you know, I did know a lot of the facts that were told in these, but I didn't know anything, even though I have two younger sisters and they had Barbies growing up. I didn't really know anything about Barbie. And I was fascinated by that episode. I never knew she had such a, uh, how shall we say, lewd inspiration. <laughs> she did indeed. Yeah. <clears throat> But. That was probably the episode I knew the very, very least about. It wasn't until that it hit the 90s Barbie stuff that I was like, oh, I remember that. Otherwise, I knew nothing. <laughs> I was like, this is all new information to me. Um, real quick, I want to I ask some personal questions here, Brian. Not too personal, obviously. But um, when you were a kid, what would you say was your favorite toy franchise? The, the toy that you played with the most? I mean, definitely Star Wars. <laughs> All right. Um, any any particular reason why, or was just that popular at the time? You know, Star Wars changed my life. Um, you know, I'd I'd be I always say you know, I'd probably be a dentist or a lawyer in New York uh, instead of being a producer in L.A. If it wasn't for Star Wars, you know, I was so young when I saw it. I, I thought it was real. Um, you know, my mom uh, had to buy me a book. Uh, about the making of Star Wars for me to understand uh, that it wasn't, you know, I basically, I didn't know this word, but I basically thought it was a documentary. So, uh, you know, it, it just, it had such a powerful impact on my life. It does to this day. Um, so it, that was just because of the movie. Uh, it, you know, no, nothing could ever get ahead of it. And the toys were great. Um, I yeah, I, I completely agree. I, say, uh, uh, I, I, I agree with me how it affects you know it affects my life to this day because um, I uh, have talked ad nauseum about Last Jedi uh, <laughs> to the point where people have asked me to shut up about it. Um, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> but um, um, I'm trying to think of some other questions to ask about your history of toys because uh, like growing up since I grew up what, seven years, uh, well, I was born seven years after you guys. I grew up in the late 80s, 
and early 90s. That was kind of my era. So, like, uh, Ninja Turtles and uh, Power Rangers were definitely, like, the most toys that I played with when I was very little. And it wasn't until uh, the, the re-releases of Star Wars that I got into Star Wars. Um, uh, so my, my fascination is with, uh, you know, you, you were at a very ripe age when Star Wars had come out, so that makes perfect sense. But you guys also grew up, you know, you were 10 in the mid-80s where, you know, when He-Man and G.I. Joe were a huge thing. Um, so I guess, I guess my question, the, the, the point that I'm trying to get at here is, uh, fill me in on what it was like at that time to go into a toy store where it was kind of maybe a little different for me. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, the, and just, just so you know, I, and I apologize for this, but uh, I, uh, I, I was supposed to be uh, uh, off of this uh, at 5.30. So oh. if, 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 uh, apologies, but uh, this, this will have to be my, uh, my last answer. Uh, but, uh, okay. I mean, uh, so basically this is the order of the greatest moments of my life. Um, the birth of my children, um, of course, my wedding day, uh, then the first time that I had produced a movie, seeing it in a movie theater. So, kids, wedding, movie in a movie theater that I produced. And then number four, greatest moment of my life, um, was when I was a little kid, uh, I was in something called a KB toy store that doesn't exist anymore, that used to be huge in, uh, New England. And, uh... We were looking for the Darth, Vader, sorry, for the Luke uh, Return of the Jedi figure, the all-black green lightsaber, and um, the entire right wall of KB, I mean, probably 200 feet long, was covered in Star Wars toys, and uh, my mom started on the far right, I started on the far left, and we were, and we were getting closer and closer, and I thought... Uh, they don't have it. And then I remember I'm sitting there staring forward, tearing through them, and I hear my mom say, Brian? And I turn, and she was holding it. Oh, and that, like, like I said, other than my kids, my wedding, uh, and, uh, you know, seeing a movie, seeing my name, you know, on a 70-foot screen, you know, that's uh, that's the fourth best moment of my life. So that's, if if that doesn't answer your question, I don't know what does. That's oh, that, an amazing. That, does. that was awesome. That, that is really an amazing great. memory. And yeah, Greg, you don't know toy aisles today, and even in the '90s, are nothing compared to like back in the early '80s. <laughs> oh, I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Um, all right, so uh, Brian, uh, so that was that's, that's going to be it for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I, I thought they told you ahead of time. I only had half an hour, so I'm sorry about that. Oh, no need to apologize at all. Oh. We uh, yeah, our show goes about an hour anyway, so this this worked out really well. Yeah, we are um, just incredibly. But thank you, thank grateful. you so much. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I mean, I, again, you're grateful. I'm grateful. Thanks for caring about this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, absolutely. We're, we're, we, we're stoked for the next four episodes. Yeah, and hopefully, thank you. hopefully I, uh, let you'll me know get what you a think. season two. God willing. I hope so. But, Brian, thank you so, so much for agreeing to give us the interview, coming on, and chatting with us. It's been a pleasure and an honor. 
and I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I uh, hope for more of this wonderful show. Uh, the pleasure was all mine, and uh, thank you, gentlemen. Have a good night. Thanks. You too. Goodbye. Bye. Guys, I can't believe that interview. That was so good. Um, again, wow. a massive, massive thank you to Brian for, for allowing us to have that interview with you. Uh, we did go a little bit over his time. We didn't. We honestly didn't know we had only 30 minutes, but we got 30 minutes of, of good content, so I'm extremely that, happy. That story he told about being seven years old in KB Toys with his mother, searching for that Return of the Jedi Luke Skywalker, and that I was sitting there listening to him tell that inter, that story, and I had this big shit-eating grin on my face the entire time, and I can relate to that. Uh, it's just so, so much, uh, so many memories. Yeah, you know, for, as, for for me, you know, a toy store was was Toys R Us. Uh, we did have a KB, um, but. KB, I mean, KB felt that way. Like, KB definitely felt the way that, like, I was like, oh, my God, I want to search every aisle, yada, yada, yada. But um, I never truly had that moment. I remember when Space Jam was a big thing, and I always was looking for the collect or the, the pieces that I didn't have. Um, but I don't think I ever, like, the only moment I can think of that, like, I'll remember for the rest of my life was uh, Mario 3 had just come out. And... Uh, I told my mom about it. She was like, all right, let's go get it. And so, like, the family gets in the minivan. We head to Toys R Us, which was, like, I'd say a solid, like, 45 minutes from our house. At least I felt mm-hmm. that way as a kid. I don't know. Um, but it was raining, and I watched her run into Toys R Us and then run out of Toys R Us about 20 minutes later with a copy of Mario 3 just for me. So, like... That's awesome. Yeah, that's something I'll never forget. Uh, but, you know... You know the way, yeah, the way the toy stores were in the '90s and even today, they're nothing like they were in the, in the '80s. Because it's something this documentary talks about, something that I kind of wanted to get more into him with, but um, 80, in the '80s, toys were a much bigger commodity than they are now. Like anyway. and they were, I, they were marketed a different way as well, too. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, they like the He-Man episode. They talk about how they had to pitch this is our new line this is what we're offering you know and it was up to retailers to say okay we'll go with this or we want this but we don't want that uh that's one reason why you don't see big play sets like the gi joe uss flag anymore is because retailers the shelf space it takes up so much shelf space that's why Lego, when you see Lego, you see a whole wall of Lego. That's because Lego has a contract. They're like, if you're going to carry any of our stuff, you have to carry so much of our stuff. Right. Um, that's why you have the big $100, $200 sets that are on the bigger boxes on the bottom. And on all the little smaller sets, you know, towards the top. But, yeah, shelf space today, that's why a lot of uh, toy companies don't uh, make big play sets. Because... One, kids aren't into toys like they used to be. They just, not the same type of toys, not right. big play sets. The smaller play sets, yes, like Madison, you know, she loves Shopkins. Shopkins play sets are very small. They don't take up a lot of space. Um, you know, the, like the base of one is maybe the size of a standard textbook, you know, at, 
in the size that it takes up versus my pterodrome that's two and a half feet across and about a foot and a half tall you know it's a big big difference in uh, space but we used to have a toy store in our region called hills and one of my most favorite memories ever was going into hills this is about 1981 1982 and my grandfather uh he hadn't passed away yet uh when i would go to see my grandparents in tennessee every other weekend every sunday morning my grandfather would take me to hills and i remember going in and this is before return of the jedi so it's got to be 81 82 uh they had this big table set up in the middle of an aisle at the end of the toy aisle and they had this giant diorama reconstructing the battle of hoth that's awesome like opened up toys and they had a bunch of like you know white fabric and cotton balls to recreate the snow fields and they had little you know things from their craft department and they would just have all of the toys from the line, they had an ATAT walker, and they had the little ATST walkers, and they had the little Hoth laser turrets, and all the Hoth playsets, all the soldiers, snow speeders, and they had everything set up in like this big six foot by four foot table diorama, and they had it encased in plastic, uh, and it was just so cool to go in there and just look at it. It's like, oh wow, you know, and then you'd run over to the aisle to see if they had those carded figures hanging, and it's like he was saying. Like Brian was saying in his uh, in his story about KB, just one end of the aisle to the other, like sixty feet, nothing but figures hanging. You know, like ten uh, ten rows tall. You know, all the way down the aisle. It was amazing. Uh, so yeah. to get to get to get this interview with him and to you know have memories like that. Uh, just uh, this was a lot of fun, and yeah, I'm truly I, grateful yeah. that he granted this this interview. It's just it's a big it's a big win for all queued up, uh, and it's something that I know well, I am personally super proud of. Yeah, I was, I I was like, you should be the most proud of of anybody in this situation because had you not taken the chance and and gone and did something that maybe maybe was a little out of your comfort zone. We wouldn't have had that interview, so I I thank you, Josh, like directly. Um, <laughs> but well, you also, know, in turn, I got to thank you for you know asking me to be your co-host a few weeks back. So you know, it's all good. <laughs> I'm ha- I'm happy for us right now. I really am. Yeah, no, this is uh, this was awesome. I, I I again enjoy the hell out of that interview, and I hope that we actually get to speak to him again, maybe after uh, the second part of season one comes out. Uh, we'll or see. If- Maybe if they have a season two, maybe we'll get to talk to them about that. Who knows? Who knows yeah. what the future holds? Um, but at this point, though, we need to end the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this episode's going to be a little long, but not too much longer. Uh, I, it might be the same length as the last episode, so there's that. Um, but again, yeah. again, guys. Uh, so next week's episode, or not next week? I'm sorry. The next episode is going to be on um, Altered Carbon, which is a brand new show that actually releases today. If you're listening to it on this podcast on release day. Um, but the other show that was requested by Anthony of Mission Star Podcast, the guy who hosted, or the guy who runs the channel that hosted this podcast originally. Uh, suggested we watch Devilman Crybaby. So we're going to watch that in its entirety. So guys, go watch those two shows. 
and then join us on our next episode. It should be a good time. Um, yeah. Josh, where can uh, they find you on the internet? They can find me at uh, on Twitter at nsabanur1976. That is E-N-S-A-B-A-H-N-U-R-1976. And I do the occasional stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash nsabanur76. So they can find me there. Sometimes I'll be building a model. Sometimes I'll be uh, painting a miniature. Sometimes I'll be playing some video games. And no set schedule. So you got to follow me on Twitter to know when I'm streaming. Um, but also, before we before we go, I, I do just want to say, uh, you know, this this was made possible just because of the network connections I've made. And had I not heard uh, Brian on the Toy Detox podcast and reached out to Tyler, the collector from the Toy Detox podcast, I wouldn't have known what to do to get in touch with Brian to set this interview up. So big shout out to Tyler. Big thanks, uh, especially to him. I was gonna. That's what I wanted you to say. That's why I was like. Also, um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Thank you to those guys. Um, I um, need to actually start listening to their podcast. I listened to the episode you had. They had with Brian, and I, I really enjoyed it. So I need to go back and listen to it a little yeah. bit more. Um, yeah, Mickey the well dressed nerd and uh, Tyler the collector. They're they're a couple of entertaining cats. They're part of the Cool Table Network. You know, I, I mean, I both shout to them all out too. But you'll. <laughs> Hey, I got to. I love them. It'd be, it'd be, you know what? It'd be awesome if we could have them on our show. I'm just saying. You, you never know. You never, you never know. know. You never know. All right, guys. That's going to be it. You can follow me on Twitter at Um I That's where I do most of my stuff. You can also uh, come join me on Mission Star Podcast, various shows that I'm on. Sunday night where I do the video game news podcast and Thursday night when I do uh, the Let's Play What's on Tap with Anthony. Um, also, Anthony and I are planning a Dragon Ball Fighters tournament sort of thing on Tuesday nights. Uh, so if any of that sounds like something you're interested in, definitely come check that out at twitch.tv slash missionstarp. But guys, that's where we're going to end it. Uh, go watch um, Altered Carbon and uh, Devil May Cry, baby, and join us next week. Everyone have a good time. A good time. Good time. What is wrong with me? Guys, have a good night, day. What am I doing? What was my outro? Why am I drawing a blank here? This is a hilarious ending. <laughs> but you know what? I just like to say, take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>